This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. I am one of the hosts, just one, because we must have two. Apparently we're like the Sith like that, a master and a master, because we don't have no (laughs) apprentice here. Uh, So my other master is with me, Dan Gunther. How's it going, man? There are. (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh goodness we're recording this a day before the force awakens comes out and apparently uh star wars leaks into everything even literary treks um funny story dan so we've been recording some uh things for the 602 club for the force awakens and twice now with bruce and john we've been talking about the thrawn books in the last two books that we talked about, I started the show by saying, welcome everyone to another episode. Of, and then I was like, ah. <laughs> so, yeah, apparently we just need to start literary wars <laughs> on the network. That's not the worst <laughs> idea I've heard, actually. Literary wars? I could. I, yeah, you know, I'm with you. I think it'd be great. But, um, oh, goodness. Uh, you know, I was excited today because uh, I pop open my comicsology and I'm looking through the new comics, and I'm like, we have a new Star Trek comic to talk about. One we've never talked about before because it's the premiere issue, number one, of Starfleet Academy. And, Dan, I I don't want to give away everything here because it's just the setup, but um, I think it's good. What are your general impressions of, of this comic so far and where you think uh, and how you think it it will go. Well, you know, anytime there's a new series, they want to put their best foot forward and introduce us to the characters and, uh, you know, give us a pretty good presentation. And I think this comes across as, as fairly interesting here. Uh, I'm into these new characters. We don't know a lot about them yet, uh, but I'm into it. it. It feels like it's geared a little bit younger, maybe, than some of the stories we've gotten before, but... Uh, that really fits the theme, you know, uh, kind of students at Starfleet Academy. We've got kind of younger storylines here. And I'm I'm kind of interested in how they're doing this. So they've got two storylines running parallel, basically. We've got a story from when the Star Trek 2009 J.J. Abrams crew were cadets at Starfleet Academy. So we're seeing Kirk, Spock, and Uhura, and Chekhov in their heyday as cadets. Uh, And it's alternating between that and a story with brand new characters uh, set in 
I guess what you could call the present day. So like the current where the timeline is now between Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond coming next year. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. I was I was interested in the story. I'm curious to see where it goes from here. Uh, we get some interesting setup. We get to know these characters a little bit, but not a lot yet. So uh, I'm fascinated. It's got my attention and uh, I'm really excited to see where it goes from here. Uh, how about you? What did you think? What was most interesting about this is I was not expecting it to be a dual story where you had um, kind of a pre-Star Trek 09 storyline and then a post-Star Trek 09 storyline. So you're getting two different series of cadets, you know, the ones we know from, uh, you know, our characters with Scotty and Spock and Kirk and all the rest. And then a, a new set of, of characters uh, a few years down the road. So I, I thought that was really interesting. And, and obviously the storylines are going to converge somehow because what's happening with Uhura and what she's trying to figure out is going to have something to do with these new cadets and what they're doing. I can't wait to see how that all plays out. I, I think it's a good start. You know, it's number one. So you're trying to introduce everything. And uh, I actually... What I liked is uh, the kind of simplified art as well. Uh, good likenesses, though, for the most part. So uh, everything works here. And like you said, almost um, a great way to... I feel like this is almost aimed at your average teenage kid, right, you know? Yeah. Like this would be more for them. and. But I think that's okay. You know, we, we want to, to be able to introduce Star Trek to a younger audience. And so I think this is a great way to do mm -hmm. that. One thing that I noticed in this and I thought was pretty cool was a lot of the background aliens we're seeing uh, from Enterprise. So we've got a lot of Denobulans in the background, some other aliens, which I, I think might be Kratassans, and just some really obscure faces uh, from you know, uh, earlier Star Treks that we don't see much of uh, otherwise. So that was that was a neat little addition that I thought was, uh, you know, kind of really showed that the artists, you know, they know their Trek and uh, they're really including some cool stuff here for the uh, the rabid fans such as us to kind of pick out here. Uh, what was with the melted Mars bars? Did you not catch that? Those aliens that basically looked like a melted Milky Way? Oh, I missed that. Okay, it just yeah, it's really funny. They're in the um, newer timeline, the present timeline, so to say, and uh, they're one of the teams, and they just look like a melted, you know, Milky Way or Twix or something. It's really odd. Oh, I missed that. I gotta find that now. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, those are, um, they were one of the background aliens in Star Trek, the motion picture. Uh, like one of the guys we see that's like this big on the screen kind of thing. Okay. Well, I don't know who he is cause I obviously never notice him. And, and honestly, he <laughs> looks like a melted Milky way that it just looks like a team yeah, of I, them. It's very, I can't odd. remember what they're called. Uh, th these are aliens that like Christopher L. Bennett, for example, could tell you like that, what they are, <laughs> but, uh. Yeah, no, they look like they're I, about to yeah. spin down the drain on the floor of the bathroom or something, for sure. <laughs> yes, it, it, yeah, that's exactly what they look like. Um, 
walking pieces of poo. <laughs> it's it's uh, apparently Mr. Hanky is on the Enterprise, uh, or at least at Starfleet Academy. So yeah, Dan, it's um, it, it was that was really funny. But otherwise, beyond that, I think that this is a good start, and hopefully, it will continue to be a strong comic as we move forward. Well, Dan, before we jump in, we're going to finish the very last book in the Mere Anarchy series this week, which I'm really excited about. Uh, before we do that, why don't you tell everybody where they can find all of the Trek FM stuff and Literary Treks online? For sure. Well, Literary Treks is just one of the many podcasts we have here on Trek FM. Uh, we have shows from all corners of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You can find all of them at trek.fm. Uh, or on iTunes, of course. You can find all of our podcasts on there. Now, if you're wanting to contact us, there's a lot of different ways you can do that. Uh, first of all, we have a contact form on trek.fm slash contact. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail. If you look in the sidebar on the show page, uh, you'll find a place to leave a voicemail there, or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter. Our username there is at trek.fm, and we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We also have a listeners-only group on Facebook called the Babel Conference. Just go to Facebook and type in the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, or go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, Literary Treks, of course, is all about books, so we've got a special group on Goodreads as well. Just go to goodreads.com and search for Literary Treks. You'll find all of the bookshelves that have the books we're currently talking about, books we'll be talking about in the future, and anything we've discussed in past episodes. And also there are, of course, great conversations happening about all of the books and comics that make up the Star Trek universe. Dan, uh, it's funny. Uh, last week we had an end of some things with some comics, and of course the Deep Space Nine relaunch as we kind of wrapped that up until we get to Ascendance. And we're going to be doing that again this week, which we will finish out the Mere Anarchy series, which we started this year, which has been, I think, really fun to go through, especially since that was the 40th anniversary. We're about to hit the 50th anniversary, and so it's our come around. Well, that's the name of the book, but it it's also come around for us to talk about. <laughs> so, um, you know, this was interesting because we've been walking through the history, basically, of the TOS crew, and... Where they set this storyline is fascinating because it, you know, like it or not, like him or not, Kirk is the the center of TOS. You know, he is the main character and everything does kind of revolve around Kirk. And this story is actually set after the events of Generations which means Kirk is no longer with us. And he's been such a pivotal part of this storyline with Mystico. And so that loss of Kirk is being felt by everyone. And sadly, it makes me relive generations too. <laughs> Ooh, you know, unintended fallout from that there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting, Matthew, that Kirk is such an integral part of Star Trek and the original series and even here, after his death, he plays such a huge role in this story. On every page, 
Kirk's presence is felt, even though physically he is no longer there. So I thought that was a really cool aspect of this book that, you know, something we never really got in Generations or in any filmed Trek was, you know, what it was like after Kirk died. You know, we get Scotty and Chekhov gazing out into open space on the Enterprise B, and you see the sadness on their faces, but we never really get that you know, the people in Kirk's life dealing with that and, and coming to terms with the loss of, you know, not only a great man, a Starfleet legend, but, you know, their friend, right? So I thought that was very interesting to be able to get into that with this story. And not only that, you know, it's not just the personal nature of Kirk for his friends and for Starfleet, but it's also the impact that he's had all across the galaxy. And what I love about the way this story is played out is that Kirk has had a pivotal impact on the Mystico people and what happened there. You know, uh, in the book, uh, people are still blaming the Federation uh, on Mystico for, for what happened as if the Pulse was their fault somehow. But without them being there, without the Enterprise and, and the work that the Enterprise did, the entire planet w would not exist. Um, it is Kirk and his crew and the work that they did that has saved this planet and given it an, a new lease on life. It'll never be the same, but given them a chance to make their way still and... It's his leadership, really, that's made that possible um, in, in so many instances throughout this series. And so it was really interesting to see because, you know, we think about the personal impact of Kirk not being there with his friends. But to also think that around the galaxy, you know, Kirk is a hero to many planets, especially if you take many of the TOS episodes at face value you know um the the decisions that kirk makes has a huge impact on you know the alpha quadrant the beta quadrant and this man shaped the future of the 23rd and into the 24th century uh and i what i loved about this book is that it brings that home so well i mean you know all across the alpha quadrant and beyond there are people in mourning and computer gods cheering <laughs> because Kirk is gone. That is true. <laughs> Malevolent computer gods everywhere are like, he's dead. Nobody's talking me to death anymore. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's really fascinating to think of, you know, you look at, like you said, the televised Star Trek original series and all of that the impact that he had on so many planets all across the galaxy, you know, and we just see one part of that here with Mystico and, and dealing with his loss there that, you know, this must, this kind of experience must be being repeated all over uh, the Alpha Quadrant here because Kirk had such a huge impact on galactic politics, on planets, entire cultures that, you know, his loss would be a really big deal to a lot of people, I think. Yeah. I, you know, I was, I was thinking about the end of Return of the Jedi, you know, and there's the big parties everywhere and they're tearing down statues of the, you know, Emperor on Coruscant and everything. And I was thinking in the complete opposite of that, that so much 
of the galaxy when they had heard about the death of Kirk, there's mourning happening. And it's not just on Earth and it's Starfleet. It's There's probably a lot of places where Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise and their work on that planet has changed the course of the future for better. That's really, that's really funny that you mentioned that because I was almost picturing the exact same thing. And yeah, that, that, the statue toppling on Coruscant and stuff. I don't know, like something about that whole scene, but you know, that kind of the photo negative of it. Exactly. That's exactly what I was picturing. Well, and so instead of statues being toppled, they're being erected, <laughs> you know, to Kirk's, uh, with Kirk's likeness. So, um, but I, I, I love that because not only that, there are characters that we didn't get to see deal with that loss, especially, you know, Spock, for one. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, I I thought for this book was Bones, dealing with Bones's anger and frustration that his friend you know, died and that he wasn't there, you know, that he couldn't make it, you know, they, they give a great reason for why he couldn't make it to, uh, the, the launching of the Enterprise B. He was deep into a research project and couldn't tear himself away. And, you know, he was not able to be there. Um, Scotty blaming himself, you know, all of these things were just so good, but it was really, and, I would say, you know, each of these books have had a cover, and one of the characters has been on the cover. This is the one book where I really feel like the cover matched what the story was going to be. Exactly. This is a, yeah, it's a story about bones. Yeah, and I found that just such a deeply moving part of this story. I thought that Bones' story in this book was was just perfectly done. You really feel his pain at having lost a friend, and he can look at it very clinically as a medical doctor and say, well, these are the five stages of grief, and, you know, this is where I am right now, and, you know, I seem to be stuck in depression, and he can kind of sit back, he, he can kind of stand back from the situation and realize that, but it doesn't lessen the fact that he is so crushed by the loss of, you know, his closest friend in the universe, and, uh, you know, his his working through that and how the crew helps him work through that and how him, you know, working through this medical mystery on this planet on Mystico helps him through that too, I thought was just one of my favorite aspects of this story by far. It was so nice to see too. And on the flip side of Bones, you know, Spock seeing that you know, his friend is having such a hard time and taking care of him. And, and you know, just the way that this crew takes care of of that family. Mm-hmm. You know, even, even Sulu, um, you know, being there a little bit with the Excelsior, kind of taking over for the Enterprise, not being around anymore, and uh, ferrying everybody there. And just, it it, it was a great, respectful way to deal with what had happened in generations and give it even more weight than it had there because you're seeing the impact of somebody like Kirk being gone not just of course as we talked about with the galaxy but now personally with these people's lives and and anytime we dig into the relationship between McCoy and Kirk I think it's so fascinating because they have such a close relationship and I 
personally enjoy their relationship even more so than the Spock and Kirk relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's just something about those two. It it really almost does feel like they are brothers from another mother. Oh, totally. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I always think to one of my absolute favorite scenes in the original series uh, where McCoy is telling Kirk in, in all, you know, there are billions upon billions of stars. Oh, I think I was channeling Carl Sagan there. Uh, and you know, on all these planets, there's only one James, you know, there's only one of each of us and, you know, don't kill the one who is James T. Kirk, you know, that, that scene, I just really makes me think of these two as so close and, you know, and you think of those, those decades of friendship, uh, what that must've meant to McCoy, uh, especially that he couldn't be there at the end. Um, you know, it it must've been so crushing. Um, the one thing that I really like in this story is they kind of draw a parallel a little bit to between, you know, what Kirk's friends and his crew are feeling uh, coming out of this disaster. And they really kind of draw a parallel to Mystico coming out of its disaster. It's dealing with this pulse and it's kind of finally on the path to renewal here. There's a lot of the planet is is recovering, not exactly as it was before, but it'll be different but it will be alive and healthy and i feel like that's kind of the same with mccoy and the rest of the crew here they things will never be the same now that jim kirk is gone but they will recover and they will be strong together and you know we get this little bit at the end where uh you know one of the characters finds the seeds to the sacred tree of the pie of people and uh McCoy kind of starts to realize that he's going to be all right. You know, he's going to come out of this. And so is Mystico. And I thought that was kind of a really neat uh, parallel to draw between the two of them there. It was a good way to use the storyline that they had created and give that symmetry. And that this is really smart. You know, um, I remember the first time that I read these books and I was not expecting this to be what happened in the last one you know to deal with the loss of Kirk but everything like you're saying it just works together so well to tell a great story that works on a lot of different levels it's wrapping up what we've been dealing with with the Mystiquins and at the same time, helping the crew of the Enterprise deal with one of their toughest losses ever. You know, they've gone through losing Spock, but he came back. You know, this Kirk is never going to come back. And so it is really cool and really interesting to watch those parallels. And it just feels organic. It doesn't feel forced, you know. And, and that's, you know, in a 70-page ebook, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. I was, you know, for for the the scarcity of space that uh, Margaret Wander Bonanno had with this story, to be able to pull these emotions out of the characters and really make me feel like, you know, I'm there alongside them dealing with, you know, the situations they're coming up against here and the emotions, I, I thought was really, really, really well done. I was really impressed with this. Well, and what's great is that on top of that, this story is about how adversity brings people together. And, you know, in a world where we live in where people want 
safe zones for everything, and and they they want these uh, bubble protected lives. But that's not the way anyone grows, you know, and that's not the way people grow together. Um, why are people in war inseparable later on down the road? Because they've been through hell and back together, you know, and that's something that can never be replaced. Um, why are couples who, who stick it out after they've lost a child um, and find a way to make it work after— what gives them that bond? They've been through hell and back, you know? Hard things make us better people if we learn how to deal with them correctly. And and the Mystikawins are are benefiting from that now. Finally getting back on their feet and, and seeing the new life come. It's brought their planet together in a way that they, I don't think they ever expected. You know, they still have their issues, but, you know, uh, who doesn't? It, it's just the way it is. You know, uh, the Klingons here dealing with the, the way, you know, they've always been the enemy against the Federation. But now they become more like allies. They're becoming more like friends as Azatbor is visiting Mystico and... They're there to learn how they can benefit from what the Mystikoans learned because of what happened to their planet with Praxis. I mean, just so many great lessons here about, look, life is not safe, but it's good Oh, absolutely. if you can get through it, you know, and bind together with those people around you and go through it together. That's how you make it is together. Mm-hmm. The use of the Klingons here was something that really surprised me. And uh, I found myself kind of early in the book kind of wondering, you know, why are the Klingons here? That's kind of weird. And then, you know, I kind of thought about it and and put it in its place in current Star Trek history and that sort of thing. And, you know, the fact that the Klingons went through this disaster of, of the explosion of Praxis and, you know, now that... Mystico is recovering like you say they can learn from the people of Mystico which I thought was a really interesting way to turn it around here and also the we haven't really gotten stories of Federation Klingon relations immediately after Star Trek 6 after this historic peace accord you know we kind of joined them years later in some of the uh, lost era novels and that sort of thing but this period right here where you know, it's only been a couple of years and the two governments, you know, are working so closely together. I, I thought this was a really, really cool aspect to the story and really something that I'd never thought of before. Uh, you know, Azette Burr and, and her contingent of, of Klingons here visiting Mystico themselves and, and really, really showing a commitment to the peace accords that they signed with the Federation and really showing that you know, the Empire is going to learn from this period and, and grow and not just uh, waste this opportunity to, you know, better themselves and, and get out of the mess that they created following their Chernobyl, basically. I thought it was a really, really cool idea. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think it works on so many levels. And, you know, the adversity that and that's one of the things that I love too. The bitter enemies that the the Federation and the Klingons were, and and what I love here 
bringing a little bit back to what we talked about at the beginning, as a board talking about how Kirk had brought back the faith that had been lost with her father, um, and all of that. And it is a testament that hardship, tough times, is what really can change things. And being challenged is what will change things. And so, yeah, you know, you can't just expect to sit in a cloistered group and ever expect to grow or be a better person if you're never challenged with new ideas or new thoughts or have terrible things happen to you, then you have to find a way to cope. You know, all of the people in this story are having to cope through terrible things. Mm -hmm. You know, um, luckily for the Mystiquins, on the most part, they're coming out of that. But the Klingons are in the middle of that, you know, with their their planetary woes after Praxis and their governmental and, and empire woes because of what happened. The Federation is, uh, you know, and uh, Starfleet specifically reeling from the loss of, of Captain Kirk. The crew, the Enterprise, uh, that's scattered now to different places, reeling with the loss uh, of, of Kirk and finding a way to move forward. So, really, ah, God, really well done. Yeah, she really has a, a great handle on these characters here and, and these situations and really bringing them together here. I am curious, there's one aspect of this book that I thought was a, a really interesting choice, and... You know, before we started recording the show, I looked online for some, you know, what other people's reviews of this story were, what they thought of it. And, uh, you know, this is a decision that that kind of seemed to irk a few people. And that's that, you know, they're at Mystico for this summit to basically have them decide whether or not they're joining the Federation. Now, when you read this story, we never actually find out what the outcome of that vote is which, you know, I thought was a really interesting choice. Uh, what did you think of that? I'm, I'm curious as to your thoughts. Was that a good choice or not? You know, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I think I was so wrapped up in the Bone story that I kind of, I, I didn't miss that it, you know, they didn't give us the answer, but it almost didn't seem like that that, ended up being the the crux of the story and it almost as well seems like to me that whether they joined the federation or joined uh with the klingon empire uh, or decided to stand on their own for a while either way you know the the federation and the klingons are going to be friends so it didn't really matter as much you know it wasn't that big oh, it's uh, don't let the Klingons get involved because then they'll have a foothold and so close to the, you know, it's not that anymore. So the the whole landscape has changed completely. So if they join the Federation, that's great. We have a great new member. If they don't and they decide to stand on their own, well, we have, uh, you know, an ally. Uh, if they join with the Klingon Empire, well, the Klingons are our friends now. So... It, it, you know, it it was like a win-win-win, mm-hmm. um, and that's how I saw it. So I wasn't really upset about that. How did you take it? Were you frustrated about that, or did you feel cheapened since the whole storyline 
you, I mean, you could argue that it's all about whether or not they'll be a part of the Federation or not. But of course, you know, Bajor never came into the Federation (laughs) in the actual show of Deep Space Nine. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I feel very much the same way. Uh, You know, at the end of the story, I, I, I feel like, you know, it's like a lot of people who are obsessing about the movie Inception and, you know, at the end, the ending is ambiguous. You know, we never see the, the, you know, the final clue that tells us if it was all a dream or not, or what's going on. Uh, that's not the point. Like the, the point, that's not the point of the story. If you, if you read this story and you follow these characters, the point isn't whether or not they join the Federation at the end. It's whether or not they're going to survive and whether or not Kirk and his crew made a difference. And they very clearly did. You know, at the end, we see this renewal. We see that Mystico is going to be okay. And, you know, even even the planetary leader, Rhea, is, you know, she's not there for the summit. She's not going to stick around and listen to these politicians squabble. She's going to travel around the planet and look at, you know, the beautiful foliage and and you know all of the the renewal that that's happening all over the planet because she understands that's what matters and she'll show up at the end to cast the deciding vote if she's needed but you know for now that's not what matters what matters is mystico lives on and that's all thanks to you know this crew that we've followed for the past you know at the time of this story 40 years and yeah, that's that's the point of the story. I I love that too. You know, um, I love that. You what you might think of at the beginning uh, of being the point. You you find out in the end that there's something more important, and that happens a lot in life too. And I, I really appreciate this story for for what it's doing, and I think it's man. Um, I don't know, Dan. What would you end up rating? You think uh, this this book? It's our come around. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this one. I thought uh, I, I've I've always really enjoyed uh, Margaret Wander Bonanno's work. Uh, if you've read any of her other novels, like she's just an amazing storyteller. And you know, I read through this once. And, you know, it's short enough that I decided I was going to read through it a second time. And I'm really glad I did because I did pick a lot more out of it that second time. And again, that ending that's ambiguous, that has the potential to kind of irk some readers, you know, a closer examination, like I said, just shows that that's not where your focus should be and that she tells a really incredible story here. And in all the ways that matter, it really wraps up the entire story of Mystico just beautifully. Uh, so I think I would have to give this one pretty darn close to five out of five sacred tree seeds, whose name I can't remember right now. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, I uh, don't think it's uh, super important to remember that, but um, I I really like this book, and I, I think it's a great way to wrap up this series. It's been such a good series uh, on on a whole. I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, I've read it before, so the fact that I liked a majority of the stories as we walked through them again says a lot about them. 
And I think that this ends as wonderfully melancholy as possible with uh, the the truth of life. You know, that life is painful and it can be hurtful and, and bad things can happen, but also good things happen too. And it's just all part of it. And I think this is a solid, solid four and a half out of five exotic liquor bottles Ooh. from McCoy's Quarters. That's a really so. good rating. Yeah. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> well, Matthew, as we uh, march towards the end of the year, we wrap up yet another uh, Star Trek series here with uh, the final book of the Mere Anarchy series. Man, you know, this has been a really fun series to be able to talk to you, talk with you about uh, really kind of the first series we've done start to finish since I've joined the show. So it's it's kind of a, a lot of fun to be able to to uh, talk about that with you. Yeah, it has. It's been a blast, actually. You know, and to, to wrap up with such a great book, I think is, is just awesome. You know, I was thinking about the things we have wrapped up and it's barely a drop in the bucket of Star Trek books. I mean, there's so much more that there is out there of comics and books it's just insane and so you know this show can go on forever because they keep adding new books so but i'm excited to to can you continue on we've got one more show this year we're going to be talking about child of two worlds by craig cox and and i think that's a good way to wrap up the year and uh, i'm really thankful that we can keep bringing this show to everyone each week because of our associate producers from Patreon. Will Wynn, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shea Matola, and Bruce Gibson. Each of these gentlemen supports us on Patreon because they know that we are a listener-supported network. And with the size of a network like Trek FM, with the 20 different shows and all the special feeds that we have, all the storage space, bandwidth costs, we can't do that alone. This is a massive undertaking. We need your help to make sure we can continue. You know, we're heading into our new year. It's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. We have some huge things coming up for everyone. We've got all sorts of stuff. We've got, I just, we have so many things that we are excited to bring you next year. Help us do that. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of the team and make sure that 2016 is the best year for Trek FM yet. You're here. <laughs> <laughs> now, Dan, when you are not drowning yourself in a bottle of sorry and brandy because you're still upset that Kirk died in Generations, where can we find you? It's so tough to deal with that. And, I mean, you have to admit, those curved neck bottles are just so darn cool. Um, they are. They really are. <laughs> but yeah, when I'm not wandering the corridors of the ship drinking straight from the bottle of Saurian brandy, uh, you can find me online. My website is www.treklit.com. And there, of course, I review Star Trek novels because what else would I do when I'm not talking about Star Trek novels? I'm writing about them. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash treklitreviews. And I'm on Twitter at Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And I'm on Instagram. My username there is Kurtrats47. 
And Matthew, when you're not flying around Mystico chasing the sunset, looking at all the wonders that Kirk's crew has brought to this beautiful planet, uh, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02 tweeting about it. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram taking pictures of it at MRushing. And of course, that's where Trek FM is as well. You can find Trek FM on Instagram under Trek FM. I also do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. And then I do The 602 Club, where we talk about all things geeky. And of course, right now, we are very excited to be talking a lot of Star Wars as The Force Awakens will be coming out. And as this show drops, everyone in the world will have seen The Force Awakens, and we will be talking about it that next week on The 602 Club. Be sure to look for that. You can also find me on my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one.